Well, I'm going to try really hard not to cough through this whole Bible study because I've been sick. But Faith was sick too, but she never sounds sick. You don't sound sick. Oh my goodness. We're talking what a perfect night it is to teach on strength and to sing about strength because we feel so weak. And I'm sure you girls do too in some ways. So Lord, we just come before you tonight. (laughs) And God, we just give you this night, Lord. We lift it up to you, and God, there's those weak areas in our life where we need you to be our strength. God, there's those areas where we're just tired of waiting, and we've been waiting, and we want to wait well. We want to finish well. So, Lord, would you put your word in our hearts tonight? Would you cause it, like Debbie was saying to you, um, to take root and to grow and to be planted by the rivers? that our, our leaves wouldn't wither and our fruit might come forth in season and whatever we do prospers. And Lord, we lift up Debbie Bryson to you also and we pray for health for her, God, and we pray for fun times. We pray for divine appointments. We pray, God, for perseverance and longevity with how much she has before her still. Pray for safety for her. And God, we just ask that you would be in our midst tonight with your presence, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I don't quite know how I got this study. Like, somewhere in the back of my mind, I think I may have asked Debbie for it, but I don't know what I was thinking, because out of all of the teachers, I think I have to be the most impatient one of us all. So, I don't quite know how I got the study on waiting on the Lord, except for God probably knew that I needed to study the topic a little bit. But... All week I kept thinking of the word wait, and it's really honestly not a word that I particularly love, and it's found 109 times in the Bible. And as I was thinking about the word wait, I kept thinking about those old Heinz commercials, you know, Heinz ketchup. And so I looked up the old commercials, and it was really funny to see the progression of ketchup in comparison to our culture. In the 70s, the slogan was, worth the wait. And the commercial were two people, of course, with like froze and plaid shirts on. But there was two people just staring at this glass bottle of ketchup, looking at it, waiting for the ketchup to come out. And it was worth the wait. And finally, the commercial ended when the ketchup was coming out. In the 80s, The slogan was, good things come to those who wait. Like, really, just wait and you'll be blessed. Good things are coming if if you'll just wait. In the 90s, of course, came the plastic bottles. Like, okay, it's fine. You don't have to wait. Here's a plastic bottle. Just squeeze it already. And then now, not only do we have plastic bottles, but they're upside down. Like, you don't even have to take the time to squeeze. You just open the lid and it just falls out. Like, no longer do you have to have the good things come to those who wait. You just open it up. We wait for nothing in our culture. We emphasize physical strength, but not emotional strength. Not strength to wait and be able to see somebody. You can Facebook them right now. And you don't even have to go home to Facebook them. You can do it on your phone, wherever you are. Not strength to wait until you're married in purity. Not strength to wait to talk to somebody. You can text them. You don't even have to like wait until they answer or ring or anything. You can just say what you want to say and send it off now, which is very bad in some instances. 
not strength to wait until they're home to call. You can call them wherever they are. Um, somebody and I, and I've been racking my brain trying to think of who it was, and I can't remember who it was. So if it was one of you, just tell me. But we were talking, and you know, the question of where are you didn't even exist in a phone call like 15 years ago because you knew where they were. They were at home attached to their wall. You didn't have to wonder where they were. We don't have to have the strength anymore to wait to see face-to-face. You can FaceTime them wherever you are. And then, of course, there's always the people who call you, text you, email you, text you again to tell you that they emailed you, Facebook you, FaceTime you, tag you on a comment on Instagram, all within four minutes, and then get really mad if you haven't responded. There's always those people, and yet God, even in this day and age, in this culture, he says, I'm going to teach you to wait on me. I'm going to teach you to develop inner physical strength, to trust and to depend on me. We want God to work on our behalf. We want him to come now. We want him to fix our lives now, and we want him to work now. Yet we read this week in Isaiah 64, Oh, that you would rend the heavens, that you would come down, that the mountains might shake at your presence as fire burns brushwood, as fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, that the nations may tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things for which we did not look, you came down, the mountains shook at your presence, for since the beginning of the world men have not heard nor perceived by the ear, nor has the eye seen any God. God besides you who acts for the one who waits for him. I love that verse. He says, if you will just wait for me, I will act on your behalf. And I was thinking about this verse as I was reading Leviticus this week through the one-year Bible. And, and I was thinking about the priests. And, you know, if I were God and if someone sinned, not like if I sinned, but if somebody else sinned, I'd be like, I'm not cutting up your cow sin offering. Here's your cow. You handle the entrails. You handle the guts. You handle all the nastiness of it. You made your bed. Now you lie in it. But God doesn't work like that. He says, if you sin, you just bring the sin offering to the temple. And priests, here's what you do. He says to the priests, hey, you guys who are representing me, The sinners, they're just going to bring you the sin offering, and you're going to have to do all the work. Because God is our high priest. And in that, he was saying, you just come to me in confession, in repentance, and I will do the work. I will be the sacrifice. I will be the sin offering. I will do the work. Because we have a God who acts on our behalf. With other so-called gods, with other religions, there is never a God who acts on the people's behalf. In every other religion on this earth, the people act in behalf of their God, but we have a God who acts on our behalf. Our God says, you wait for me to do it, and I will act. And I love that that verse goes on to say, you do awesome things for which we did not look. Because we can't even come to the edge of his ways. I loved what we read this week about Hezekiah and 
You know, Sennacherib, I hope you, hope you, hope you, hope you got to read it. And if you didn't, please go back and read it sometime this week. It's Isaiah 37 through 39, I think it was, 37, 38, 39, and 40, maybe? I don't know. Anyway, look in your notebooks. It's in there. But I hope you read it. So you have this king and, and, um, of Assyria, and he's coming to attack, and he sends his messenger, Sennacherib, and Sennacherib stands before the city wall, and he says to all the people, you're going to drink your waste. You're going down. There has never been any other god who has been able to stand up. Where are the gods of Samaria? How did they save their country? Where are the gods of these other countries? They couldn't save them. Your God can't save you either. And I love what Hezekiah did. He took it all and he spread it out before the Lord. And I bet if he could have come up with something that he wanted God to do, I bet the suggestion never would have been what the end result of the story was. I bet he never would have said, can't you just make him hear a rumor and return to his own land? Or couldn't you just send one of your angels down and kill 185,000 of their warriors and then have Sennacherib's son kill him when he gets home? And yet that's what happened. That never would have entered into the mind of Hezekiah to pray. We can't even fathom the ways that God will act on our behalf in. We can't even imagine what he will do. Isaiah 49, 23 says, For they shall not be ashamed who wait on me. We can't even fathom how he will act, but you know what we do know? We know that he will act. We know that we will not be ashamed. Not that there won't be moments of shame. We were talking about that verse in our leaders meeting and and how it talks about you'll be desolate and you'll be captives. There will be moments of shame, but ultimately, in our lives, we will not be ashamed who wait on the Lord. There may be periods where it seems like God has forsaken. There may be periods where it seems like God has left, but he will not ever leave his people. And we who wait on him, we will not be ashamed. Remember Job? Job lost everything. Job's friends came to him and they said, you must have sinned. He had this time period where his wife's like, just kill yourself already. Where his friends are like, what did you do? Where his children died, where he lost everything. He had a time where it seemed like shame would prevail. Where it seemed like God had left But our God, who's the same yesterday, today, and forever, says, you will not be ashamed if you wait on me. And we know the end of the Job story because we love that end of the Job story. And he gained everything back far more than he had had in the beginning. And sometimes we don't know that we ultimately won't be ashamed for waiting on him until years later when it's over and the years that the locusts have eaten are restored. God develops humility in his people in the times of waiting. God develops trust in his people in the times of waiting. We often look for fulfillment of God's promises here on earth, but with many things, fulfillment will come in heaven alone. Someday wrongs will be righted. Someday promises will be fulfilled. Someday our names will be cleared. But I bet in that day, 
we won't jump up and down and say, See, I told you I didn't do that. Like we think we will now because God uses the years to develop humility. God uses the years to develop trust. God uses the years to develop a rest in him. His promise for waiting that he gives to us is in Ephesians when he says that he is faithful to complete what he starts. Philippians, sorry. That the work that he begins, he is faithful to complete it in us. And he will give the strength to wait for everything that he asks us to wait for. Now, I am so, so very much not a runner. I've told you girls before, like, the closest way that I identify to running is that Pinterest sign that says, if you see me running, you better run too because something's chasing me. I am so not a runner, and I know, I know, I have heard it all. I could be. I could be a runner. If I would just run for two minutes and then walk for two and run for two minutes and walk for two, I would build up my strength and endurance and I could be a runner. So maybe it would better be phrased, I don't want to be a runner. I don't, I don't want to run. I don't like to run. And I used to try. I used to try to be a runner. Because, you know, sometimes it's like the popular thing to do. Everybody's like, oh, yeah, I just went out for a run the other day when I was, like, so mad. And I just ran and ran and ran. And God just took away all my problems. And, you know, they make it sound so cool, like you just run. So I thought, I'm going to be a runner. This is when I was, like, 19. And I would trick my mind, you know, just make it to the stop sign. And then the stop sign would come, and I would just say, just kidding, the next one. And, and I would try so hard. And to be honest, when I think about waiting on the Lord, that's the picture that I get. You know, I get that picture of just running, just trying to make it, and, and God gives you some promise, and he's like, okay, just keep on going a little bit longer. And in Isaiah 40... Verse 28 through 31, which we read this week, he says, Have you not known, have you not heard, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary? His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak, and to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youth shall fail and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. I love that it says, even the young men shall utterly fall. Because if he says, even the middle-aged women shall utterly fall, it would kind of be like, oh, even them, even the middle-aged women, even us will fall? Oh, boy. But he says, even the young men in the prime epitome of the man's strength, they will fall. They'll fall. They can't even compete with me because I know that I can't compete with him. But even those young men who seem so strong, even they will fall, but I never will It is so great to be reminded that our great God does not faint or become weary. While I'm searching for my understanding, what what do I know about this? I know I knew something about this. What did I know? He says, my understanding, it's unsearchable. While you're searching for your understanding, my understanding's unsearchable. Romans 11.33 says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, How unsearchable are his judgments, and his ways are past finding out. We get so weary of our situations. And honestly, most of the time, I know that I can keep on going. 
I know that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I know that he says that when I run, I won't grow weary, and when I walk, I won't faint. I know that he says that I go from strength to strength. But if I could be honest, a lot of times, I just don't want to anymore. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of the run. I'm tired of the wait. And I just honestly don't want to do it anymore. I don't want to wait or endure one more day, one more time, or just a little longer. In Psalm 84, he promises that we will grow from we will go from strength to strength and he says i know you'll grow weary but i will renew your strength he promises he promises that we'll go from strength to strength and in my mind i see that verse as like a lily pad you know it's not like the same strength that you had yesterday and it's not the same strength that you'll have tomorrow but it's today's strength you're like a frog jumping on a lily pad Today, you have the strength not to sink into the water. You have your lily pad. He regrows our strength as we spend time with him. We can run and not be weary. And I can't imagine what that will be like because I'm about weary after three paces. If a pace is a step. If it's longer than that, then I'm like weary after a much shorter amount of paces. He gives us power. He gives us strength to walk through this life to walk through the situations that he asks us to wait in. I was reading Pilgrim's Progress with my kids, and I love that book. If you haven't read it, you have to, have to, have to read that book. It's a beautiful classic. It's an allegory of the Christian life by John Bunyan. Not Paul Bunyan. There's no blue ox in this story. John Bunyan. And he wrote it in prison in And so in this story, there's a man named Pilgrim, and I won't get too much into it because we don't have time. If you haven't read it, read it. If you want to talk about it later, talk about it. But so the main character of the story is Pilgrim, and and him and Faithful are traveling, and, and they get off the path, and they get trapped in Giant Despair's castle with his wife, Distrust. And they get beat by Giant Despair, and they were starving, and they were thirsty, and all of a sudden, after days of being trapped in Giant Despair's dungeon with Distrust, his wife, all of a sudden, Pilgrim remembered that he had been given a key named Promise to get out of Despair's castle. The key of Promise unlocked the dungeon just as it does for us. We have all the promises of God. We know that the word says that all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ. We have every promise. We have promises that he will not leave us nor forsake us. We have promises that he gives us strength to strength. We have promises that we won't grow weary. We have promises that if we wait on him, we won't be ashamed. We have the key of promise, just as Pilgrim says. And isn't it so funny? that often we spend days in dungeon of despair before we remember that we have all we need to unlock that gate and get out of there. Satan would love to trap us in the prison cell of despair and distress, and they are such nasty caretakers. They do not like you. Despair and distrust do not understand your problem in a way that nobody else does. They just tell you that so that they can keep you in the dungeon. We have the promises of God 
to get out of the place of despair. We have the promises of God to get out of the place of distrust. We have to meditate on the promises of God and get ourselves out. We can't lose our life and lose days in that cell. Psalm 40, 1 through 3, like Debbie mentioned, we read that today, and I hope you guys are tracking along with that too. It's beautiful. David says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined and heard my cry. He also brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my steps. He has put a new song in my mouth, praise to our God. Many will see it in fear and will trust the Lord. We keep singing so often the same old sad, whiny song about our circumstances, about the people we live with, about the way our kids treat us, about the way our husband is, about how much money we don't have, about the way our co-workers treat us, and we go on and on and on with the same old sad, whiny song. And God says, no. I've given you a new song. I've put a new song into your mouth. What is that new song? David says that new song is called Praise to Our God. We don't have to sing that same old sad, whiny song anymore of despair and distrust. We have a new song of praise. Do we want to stay out of the pit as we wait on God? Then sing the song of praise and use the key of promise. We have to recount the praise of God in the times of waiting because it's in the waiting that we are most vulnerable to the lies of the enemy. It's in the times of waiting that Satan comes and whispers or shouts in our ears, God doesn't see you, he doesn't care, he's forgotten you, or you messed up too bad and he's moved on to somebody else, or like Rabshakeh said to King Hezekiah, what confidence is this in which you trust? You won't be delivered from this. This will be your song for the rest of your life. This will be who you are. This will be your identity. This will be what you're known for. For the rest of your life, it will never change. This is what Satan whispers and shouts to us as we are in those times of waiting. And when Hezekiah spread out the letter before God, he did pray that he would be delivered, but he started by reminding himself of the truth of who God is. Isaiah 37, 16 says, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, the one who dwells between the cherubim, you are God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. Before Hezekiah ever asked for help, he told himself who God is. He said, I'm going to remind myself who it is that I'm praying to. I'm praying to the one who created heavens and earth. I'm praying to the one who dwells between the cherubim, the mercy seat. I'm praying to the merciful God. This is the key to victorious prayer and waiting, is to remind ourselves who it is that we're praying to. One of my favorite songs is Here's My Heart by David Crowder. And he says, Here's my heart, Lord. Speak what is true. I am found. I am yours. I am loved. I'm made pure. I have life. I can breathe. I'm healed. I'm free. 
You are strong, you're sure, your life you endure. You are good, always true. You are light breaking through. You are more than enough. You are here, you are love. You are hope, you are grace. You're all I have. You're everything. We, in these times of waiting, we need to have our hearts speak what is true. In those times where Satan is screaming at you that you are forgotten, that God is not strong enough, that your sin is stronger than the grace of God, we have to speak truth in our heart. We have to speak truth of who we are. You're right. You're right, I am a sinner. I am messed up. But I am saved by the blood of Jesus and I have been redeemed and he sees me as a pearl of great price which he gave everything up for to obtain me. He calls me treasure. He calls me daughter. I who was once called forsaken have been brought near. And when Satan is casting shadows of doubt on who God is, he's forgotten, he doesn't see, he's not strong enough. We need to speak the truth in our hearts of who God is. He's strong. He's sure. He won't forsake. He never forgets. It's in the waiting that we have to speak the truth of what we know so that we won't believe Satan's lies of what we don't know. Because isn't that the hardest part about waiting? We don't know. What is it? What is around the corner? When will it end? What is coming up for me? We don't know. And when we don't know, we fall back on what we do know. What do we know to be true of God? What truth can I recite about the character of God? We have all we need to get out of these dungeons and to walk this high road of praise. We have the key, but we have to exercise the mental discipline to get out of that prison because it is far easier to just sit in that cell and rot. Satan makes it so easy for us. He makes it so easy to think just one more time about that situation that happened, to think one more time about what you wish you would have said or done, to think one more time about what he said or what she said. He makes it so easy to stay in a dungeon. And what's funny about this dungeon is that there's no walls in this dungeon. We can step out at any moment out of this dungeon of despair, distrust, disbelief. We can step out. There's no walls. But we have to do it. We have to meditate on who God is. And often, isn't it true that we just want our circumstances to change? Well, if this would just change, I'd be fine. And God says, I don't want your circumstances to change because I'm using your circumstances to change you. He can change the circumstances. At any moment, he could change them. But he uses our circumstances to change us. Isaiah 30 says, For thus is the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel. In returning and rest you shall be saved, and quietness and confidence shall be your strength. But you would have none of it. Therefore the Lord will wait that he may be gracious to you, and therefore he will be exalted that he may have mercy on you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. I love this verse. Because not only does he tell us to wait for him, he waits for us. When we're sitting there, hold on God, just one more day in the dungeon of despair. 
I just want to think one more time about what she said or what he did or what I don't have. Hold on. He says, in returning and rest, you would be saved. In quietness and confidence, you would find your rest, but you'd have none of it. Stay in your little pity party prison cell. But I will wait for you. He doesn't take off. He doesn't say, find him out of here. He doesn't say, forget you, I'm done. He says, I'm going to wait. I'm going to let you pity it out. It's not going to get you anywhere. Your prison doesn't have walls. You can get out at any moment, and then you'll be saved. Then you'll find rest, and you'll find quietness, and you'll find confidence. Everything you're seeking, and I'll wait for you. I'll wait for you. I loved this week in the one-year Bible, Psalm 37, just full of verbs on this topic. Trust, dwell, feed on his faithfulness, commit, trust, rest, wait, do not fret. It only causes harm. And one of the verses that it ends with says, the meek will inherit the earth. And I thought, who, who are the meek people? Who are these meek people? And I looked up meek expecting to find the definitions that we're always taught. You know, meekness is not weakness. It's power under control. And, and instead, I found a definition that's been bothering me all week long. And in a good way, it's been bothering me, but nevertheless bothering me. It said meek, easily imposed on. Ugh, that's horrible. Maybe that's good, like if you are meek and you're easily imposed on, but I am not easily imposed on. Like I have my plan and I have my schedule and if I have like scheduled to be imposed on by you at 11 a.m., that's totally fine. Impose away because it's on the schedule books at 11 a.m. But if I have not scheduled to be imposed by you, whoa, this is really hard on me. And I hate that about myself. I hate that, the easily imposed on it says, will delight themselves in abundance of peace. Well, I guess so, because if you're like me and you're annoyed to sometimes be imposed on, you're feeding on wrath and anger and annoyance and discontentment. The meek people, the ones who are easily imposed on, they get to feed on peace. That sounds amazing to me. Like Jesus in Mark chapter 1, where everyone came to him to be healed in the evening. The evening? The evening, like after work hours, you know, like not nine to five, like not even eight to six, like the evening, like when he was already done, when he had already put in a day's work, like around dinner time, like after you worked all day already, like when you're trying to put your kids to bed. This is a time that everybody came to Jesus to be healed. And it said that he was moved with compassion them because he saw them that they were like sheep without a shepherd the meek the easily imposed on will delight themselves in the abundance of peace in this world of waiting god creates meek people by waiting god creates patient people by waiting god creates strong people by weakness, because Jesus is not as concerned with where we end up as who we are when we get there. He's not as concerned with where we end up going as with who we are by the time we get to where he's taking us. He's working on who we are on the inside, not who we are on the outside to others. And then we read this week in Mark chapter 3, 
Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and he went up on the mountain and called him to himself those that he wanted. So he called them to himself. And I was thinking, if we know that this is the heart of Jesus, if we know that he calls us to himself, that he wants us, can't we walk through anything? Can't we walk through any trial if we know that that is the heart behind it? Not that he forgot, not that he doesn't see, not that he's a God of wrath who's punishing us because we just can't control our tongue no matter what we desperately try. But if we know that his purpose is to draw us near to himself, doesn't that make it worth it? We have a promise in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 3, the Lord will not allow the righteous soul to famish. The righteous soul. Not too many of us in here are worried about our stomachs being famished. But our souls? Yeah, my soul feels famished some days. My soul feels like it's starving. But he promises that he will not let our soul be famished. He won't let our souls shrink into oblivion and just disappear like it feels like they will sometimes. Leviticus says that the priest is the one who keeps the fire going on the altar. And your God, your faithful high priest, he will keep our fires going. It's not something that we have to do. He will do it. He will keep our fires going. It's his responsibility. He won't let our soul famish. He won't let our fire go out. He won't let us just melt into a puddle of desperation like it feels like we will sometimes. He calls us near to himself. And when you feel starving, you have his faithfulness to feed on. Recount everything that he's done, all the ways he's been faithful to you. When we feel like we're weary, we don't have to worry because he doesn't grow weary. And we won't fall when we wait on him. Even those young men, yeah, those young men, they'll give out. But our God never will. He takes us from strength to strength, not strength for tomorrow, not strength for next year, but today, today we have all the strength that we need. Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow's got its own little mess of worries. You worry about today, and today you'll have all that you need. Our souls will not be famished. Today we have strength to breathe. Today we have all that we need for life and godliness. And the same will be true for tomorrow. Because if you're like me, that's when you start worrying. Not when you're thinking about today, but when you're thinking about the next thing. And tomorrow. And is this forever? That's when you start to worry. But today we have all we need. Today we have everything that we need. And maybe tonight you feel how I felt when I was reading this morning in Mark. And it said that about evening, you know, the disciples, first of all, let me back up. The disciples had been so busy and they had had all these people come at evening. And they had healed them all and they were up late and they were healing the sick. And they didn't even have time to eat, it said. And Jesus sent them away somewhere, and he said, why don't you go over there? And, and they had just fed all the multitudes, and so they were going out. And it said that at evening, he saw them rowing in the middle of the sea. And it was really hard because it said that the wind was against his face, their face. And he saw them straining at rowing, just 
Arr, just trying to get it. I don't know. I think I would strain at rowing on a calm sea. But um, they were straining at rowing on this crazy, tumultuous sea. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea, it said, and he would have passed them by. Now, the fourth watch of the night is about 3 a.m. He saw them at evening, straining at rowing. He came to them at 3 a.m. That's like a 10-hour difference. Like, if I was writing the story, I'd be like, he saw them at evening, and so he just, whoop, twitched his little nose, and he was on the boat. I'll help you. I'll save you. But he saw them at evening, and he didn't go until 3 a.m. And I was just thinking about that and just, why? Why? What was the purpose of that? Because I trust God. I trust his character. So not like, why God, like in a questioning way, but what's your purpose behind that? They were building muscles. They were building their spiritual muscles. He saw them straining and let them strain for about 10 hours. And by the time they saw Jesus, oh, they were desperate for him. I mean, these were like tough fishermen, you know? These guys have been out on the boat before, like, got this, we're good. But after 10 hours, that's a lot of straining at rowing. And often when we first get into a trial, we're like, oh, this hurts, but it's okay. Been through this before, been there, done that, I'm good, got this, I know what to do. But after 10 hours, after 10 days, after 10 years, it's a little long. It's a little wearying. It's a little weakening. But I love that it says that Jesus came by them or came walking to them and it said that he would have passed by them. And I was wondering, had it been calm if he had come to them, would they have rowed their boat up to him? Or would they have let him just keep walking on by? Because another little insight that it gives is they had just fed the 5,000 men, who knows how many women and children, And it said that the disciples didn't get it because of the hardness of their hearts. They didn't get it because of the hardness of their hearts. Wait, they didn't get the miraculous feeding because of hard hearts? Because, again, if I were writing the story, I would think, we just need miracles and abundance of food and we'll all serve you. Yay! But no. The abundance of food and the miracle kept their heart hard. When they had all that they needed, when they got it all provided, when they had 12 baskets of leftovers, they had hard hearts. What softened their hearts was the straining at rowing for 10 hours. What softened their hearts was the storm and God calming it. And I love we were talking about in the group meeting, who would appreciate a calm sea unless you had been in a stormy one? We don't go out and look at the water and think, oh, praise God, it's calm. No, I don't do that. I don't walk to the beach and just like, I'm so glad there's not tidal waves. Because I've never been in a tidal wave. But if I like lived in Thailand, I would praise God that there was no tidal wave. That there was no rogue waves washing out my hotels. We don't appreciate the calm waters until we've been in the storm. We don't appreciate God's answer until we've waited for it. We don't appreciate God's strength until we've been weak and straining at rowing for 10 days, 10 years, 10 hours. So I don't know where you are tonight. 
I don't know if the wind's crashing or wind's coming against you. I don't know if the waves are crashing against you. I don't know if you're struck in the miry clay or in the pit. I don't know if you're sitting in despair or distrust dungeon, though you don't have to. But I do know that Psalm 27, 14 says, Wait on the Lord and be of good cheer, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. God will strengthen you. So here's what I want to do tonight as we close. I want you to take your hands, and you know what you're waiting for, or you know what you're rowing against, or you know what you're, you're weak in. And I just want you to, to just put it in your hands, in your mind, and I want you to hold it out to God. And God, we give you those places of waiting. We give you those places of weariness. We give you those places of weakness. And God, we ask that you would renew our strength like you promised. Lord, we don't want to stay in the dungeon of despair and distrust and weakness and fainting any longer. We don't want to sing our same old sad little pathetic song anymore. God, we want to sing songs of praise. We want to sing songs that we have been feeding on your faithfulness and that you have not left us orphans in this world, that you have given us a helper, that you've provided all that we need, that all the promises in you are yes and amen, that in you we have everything that we need for life and godliness, and in you we lack nothing. God, we want to be those who praise you, who speak truth about who you are, and then see your salvation come. Lord, we want to be those who walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and like we learned last week, that we shine a light on those who dwell in the valley of shadow of death. God, we want to be your light. We want to watch for you and wait for you and let you be our strength and the lifter of our heads. So God, we give you these things tonight, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.